You're listening to Hawk Talk with former Seahawks wide receiver Michael Bumpus. At the 10-yard line, second and eight. Three wide receivers now in motion as Bumpus left to right. Julius Jones with single setback. Matt Pumpfakes looking to the goal line. He throws it into the end zone. Touchdown, Seahawks! It's Michael Bumpus with a diving catch in the end zone. A 10-yard touchdown reception for Bumpus, and the kid out of Washington State has found himself a place on this team. Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome into another edition of Hawk Talk. I'm your host, Nasa Chobi, joined by Michael Bumpus, and we're here to chat about the Seahawks. Big win in primetime, beating the Broncos 17-16, to but we wouldn't start off this show after a win like that any other way than speaking to our guy, Ray Roberts. Time to go inside the trenches. It's time to go inside the trenches with former Seahawk Ray Roberts. Big Ray, huge win What's last happening? night, man. It was really fun with the, the broadcast, the pre-post. We had a great time last night soaking up everything in this victory last night. The Seahawks shocked the world, taking down Russell Wilson in his return to Lumen Field on Monday Night Football. But for the fans who weren't lucky enough to be in attendance last night, what was the atmosphere like in the building yesterday? Well, I think the best way to explain it was just like uh, it felt like a little anxious, and but like nervous, anxious energy. Like just at first wanting to kind of see what was going to happen, see what was going to happen and Russell came out, see how the team was going to perform. But they were ready to go right from the beginning. A couple times I went out of the press box and went down into the stadium just so I could hear and feel the noise. And, you know, I wasn't here through all the big times, uh, you know, through the, the Legion of Boom and as Pete Carroll was building this program, so I didn't hear some of the loudest games, but that's the loudest game I've ever been in in, in in my career in NFL. So it was super exciting. The fans were locked in from from the beginning, and uh, I was super okay with the booing. <laughs> no, Pete, Pete Carroll <laughs> talked about it. Everyone kind of talked about it. You know, you can literally plenty of days to love up Russell Wilson when he comes back and he's in the ring of honor. That night was not last night, so it was good to see a crazy, crazy environment. Now, Ray, the, the young bucks up front. Charles Cross, Abe Lucas get their first starts in the NFL. How did you see them perform on the big stage yesterday? I thought they did a really good job. They came out the, the first half and provided great protection. I think Gino had some uh, some really good pockets to throw from. They were doing a good job handling uh, uh, Gregory and, and Chubb. And then later in the game, you know, I think uh, it was more of a, a technique, uh, teachable moment for Charles Cross when he gave up a couple sacks to – to Chubb, so I'm not really concerned about his ability to pass block in this league or to pass block the elite pass rushers. I think it was just a, just a matter of hand placement, really. Like, if, if, if we had the video, I could show it to you better. But basically, you just want to have your his inside hand, which would have been his right hand, on Nick Chubb's left shoulder, which is Nick's inside shoulder, and just prying that thing open like you're opening a door versus letting that shoulder get underneath your arm, and then that shortens the corner for the rusher. So it's just a, a coaching tip right there, a learning moment. But I thought they did really well. I thought the whole offensive line did really well. Could have run the ball a little bit more in the second half, uh, but I thought the offensive line for for it having three new starters there and two rookies did pretty good. Big race. speaking of running the ball a bit more, were you surprised with the ratio? Earlier in the first half, we saw uh, more pass heavy. Throughout the game, we saw more pass heavy, especially in the second half. But we hear Pete Carroll talking about, look, we want to run the football. Um, we want to control the tempo of the game. Um, did this offense meet your expect- expectations as far as the ratio? Yeah, I think they did. You know, Penny was averaging about uh, six or seven yards 
for carry in the first half. He had a, in the second half, I think it was, he had like a couple longer runs that were, that were called back due to penalties. But, you know, as we talked on the post game show, the way they use the tight ends, the tight ends, I think finished with uh, six or eight catches or seven catches for like 107 yards and two touchdowns. So a lot of that is also controlling the tempo because those are like some five yard catches here, eight yard catch there. So they're kind of like long extended handoffs. And, uh, I feel like in that game, particular game, you could kind of bunch that together to, to say that that was the running game along with Rashad Penny. And I thought that that helped them control the game as well and stay ahead of the chains and, and uh, keep positivity going with the offense. What were your thoughts with Rashad Penny? He had 12 carries for 60 yards. Um, looked explosive at times. If he didn't have two runs called back, he would have been well over 100 yards. How would you think number 20 looked? Well, I will say, like, you know, last year, the last five games, I think he you know, jumped on the scene and kind of surprised some guys uh, in some of the production meetings we've had with B.J. Dallas in the preseason, uh, and a lot of people were kind of speculating on it, but Adrian Peterson did make a huge difference in everyone's approach to the game in that room. And uh, I thought last night was the first time I saw Richard Penny being 100% comfortable in his skin, 100% comfortable with his style, and then he was trusting his eyes. He wasn't trying to be too patient to find a, a big hole that's going to open up. He kind of pressed the hole and then cut back to where the, the openings were, ran through some tackles, picked up the short yardage when he needed to just put his head down and pick up three or four yards. So I was really impressed with him. I was impressed with you know just how they were trying to really feed him, and he wasn't trying to do too much, but trying to, to get the yards that were there. So I was super excited about uh, their approach with Rashad, his approach to the game, and then, like you said, had those two calls runs not being called back he would have been well over 100 yards so Ray some of the other guys up front obviously we talked about about the guys on the outside what'd you see from like Austin Blythe and particularly Phil Haynes who filled in for Damian Lewis who was injured yeah I thought Phil Haynes you know pretty much picked up where he left off I haven't been able to go back and look at the the film again I think he did have a holding call that that may have called back either a screen or or a pass or a running play uh and then uh I thought that uh that Jackson you know, because I didn't, my eyes didn't see him a lot. I think that he played pretty good. Austin Blythe, I thought at times was a little overmatched. They kind of uh, did like a bare front where they cover up the two guards and the center. So the center has a one-on-one block. And so there were times where there was a couple passes where he got pushed back into the quarterback's lap. But, uh, but for the most part, I thought he did what they wanted him to do, which was be a, uh, uh, an elite communicator with the offensive line getting uh, him, Gino getting on the right page and getting people going the right direction. And for that piece of it, I thought he did a really good job. As the line, as it stands right now, um, how much do you think the Seahawks have upgraded from years past? Because I know a lot of times it's been kind of the punching bag. It's the, the low-hanging fruit. People <laughs> talk about the offensive line, and people who don't know about offensive line play like you do, Ray. So how would you say as of right now, I know it's only been one week, what's the state of the offensive line, and how much do you think this group's been upgraded from uh, last year and years past? Yeah, I think probably in the last four or five years, this might be uh, potentially the best line that, that, that they can have because, you know, obviously you had Dwayne Brown uh, in there and you, it's, you're not going to replace a Hall of Famer like Dwayne Brown. But uh, but from top to bottom, including Phil Haynes and uh, as, you know, filling in as a backup and Jake Karen filling in at a, a guard or a tackle, uh, I think they have a pretty deep offensive line. And like I said, I do feel like uh, probably the third quarter of the season that this offensive line if it stays healthy will be one of the better offensive lines in the league because those young dudes have a lot of snaps under their belt 
they, they start to understand the nuances of, of the game and the moves that guys use and, uh, and then be able to make those corrections that they seem like very coachable dudes, which is uh, super important because some guys come in, it's just kind of hard to coach them or they can't take the coaching from the field to the game. And these guys seem to be able to do that. So I think if they can just stay healthy, stay together, keep getting a bunch of reps together in, in the big moments and big games when they're playing for the real paychecks, I really do think that they have two tackles for the next 10 to 12 years. And then, you know, Gabe Jackson's a little bit older, but Damian Lewis is a young dude. So they have the makings of an offensive line that can be around for a long time. Sounds like they have a good foundation, Ray, with that offensive line. You mentioned the two tackles and young Damian Lewis. Uh, But Geno Smith, I felt like, helped this offensive line as well, stepping up the pocket, not trying to get outside and put a lot of pressure on these tackles. How did you see that relationship between Gino and uh, the offensive line creating that pocket? Well, the, you know, like we always say, the guards and the center, they create the depth of the pocket and the, the tackles create the width of the pocket. And I thought that that kind of, if you attach them all to a string, they kind of worked well together. And, and then Gino found where he needed to be in the pocket, whether it was stepping up and then getting to the right or left or just going right up the middle and throwing the football. And so I thought they did a really good job of protecting him, giving him a pocket that wasn't, uh, you know, didn't have linemen right in his face and hands right in his face where he had to throw over all of that. And then Gino, I, the thing I love about Gino is that Gino played within Gino. Like, there, that would have been, to me, it could have been like golf. And you know this bump. Like, sometimes you go and you're like, I'm just going to play my game. And then some dude that you don't know will start smacking the ball 10, 20 yards past your your drive, and then you're like, well, man, I can't let that happen. So then you get out of your game trying to match that dude's drive. You know what I'm saying? And then you're three, yeah. like, if you're like me anyway, you're four fairways over. And so when I look at uh, at Gino, <laughs> it would have been easy to go like, man, Russell's doing his thing. I have to, like, do something bigger than what Russell was doing. But he didn't. He just stayed right within the framework of what he's a big, uh, a, uh, the ability that he has. And I think that made all the difference in the world because he took the check downs. He ran when he had to. He made the right checks. He put the ball where guys could catch it. Like the throw to Parkinson was awesome. The dude is six foot forever. And so he put the ball up there where a six foot forever guy can get it. And so I think he did a really good job of manipulating the pocket so he could stay clean and find passing lanes and playing within himself. And I think that really helped complement the rest of the offense. Well, Big Bray, we appreciate you jumping on with us. Last night was super fun. We're ex- hoping for the similar result as the Seahawks take on the San Francisco 49ers next week. But, Ray, uh, appreciate you hopping on with us, and we'll talk to you next week. Always, dogs. Peace out. Thanks, Ray. Go hard. See you, Ray. All right, all right. That was Ray Roberts inside the trenches. Now it's time for What It Happened. See, what had happened at first was. <laughs> what happened was. What had happened was. On Hawk Talk. All right, I'll tell you what happened, Nass. The lights for Bright at Lumen Field is Monday Night Football. Russell Wilson is back in town. The crowd is booing, and no one picked the Seahawks to come out and perform the way that they did. It wasn't a dominant performance. You look at the numbers, you got 200-plus yards of offense over here, 400-plus yards of offense over there. But the Hawks just show, like, look, you still got to go out and play football. All right. You still have to go out and show that you can beat a team at home on Monday Night Football. It was exciting to see these guys get after it the crowd was into it man oh that atmosphere was insane we've talked about it and I don't think people really understand if you weren't in the building it was loud it was shaking the press box when you're in the radio booth and the 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 window is open it is deafening you can barely hear yourself in the headsets I know even the coaches having a tough time hearing each other so the the atmosphere is crazy we knew it was going to be 
This game was talked about from the day Russell Wilson was traded about this game, or excuse me, since the day the schedule came out. So the hype was there. And bump, man, 12s, enjoy it today. You should be walking out yeah, with your yeah. chest out, flexing on people, letting everybody know because you had faith the whole time, walking into work, all kinds of hyped up, sore throat just because they brought it last <laughs> night. I can tell you, you know, all the false start penalties, the delay of games, the 12s definitely had an impact on the game. And it's just got to be satisfying, Bump, for the coaches yeah. and everyone yeah. else associated with this team. Just the way this team has been talked about. They're the worst. Like, they're a laughing stock. Like, all of a sudden, Pete Coach forgot how to, to coach. And, and all of a sudden, John Schneider doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, it's – I think – I just feel so good for everyone in this building. Gino, include everybody, just to come out there and get going right off top. It was really good to see. Great to see. And it started with that first drive. Uh, Hawks get the ball first. You go on a seven-play, 70-yard drive in – Gino showed his elusiveness early, right? In this play right here, this clip from Will Disley, he avoids the sack, keeps his eyes downfield. Will Disley is all by himself. Easy throw and catch. 38-yard touchdown to start the game. This got the 12s into it. Marquise Goodwin is the slot back on the right side. Homer is in the backfield on third down and two. Here comes the blitz. Gino sidesteps it. Gino keeps moving. Gino throws. Wide open, Disley. 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown! Seahawks! A flag is down, but Will Disley is in the end zone. 38 yards, Geno Smith. What a job he did avoiding the rush. Looked like it was dead to rights on the blitz, and he just lofted it to Will Disley, who was wide open. Well, what I loved about that play, too, was just Geno, the elusiveness, man. People sleep on Geno as being an athlete. You know what I mean? For him to step up in the pocket and keep in your eyes down the field, be able to see Will Disley down the sideline there. And when that ball's in the air, though, bump, oh, I was holding my breath. I'm like, oh, no. Because when you're that wide open for both guys, whether it's a quarterback, <laughs> receiver, tight end, that ball's in the air forever. And I'm like, oh, no, please tell me you didn't overthrow him. But it was a nice play by Geno and Disley to finish out the play and get the 12s on the board. Yeah, when you're all by yourself, by your lonesome, that ball's floating in the air. It's up there forever. So the worst thing that could have happened did not happen. Thank you, Uncle Will, for getting these guys off on the right foot. On the next drive, uh, Gina would drive the team down, but stall on the seven-yard line, seven yard line on, on a fourth down. Now, I was I like the call going for it mm -hmm. on fourth down because you have to set the tone. You have to be aggressive offensively, especially when you're down in the red zone near the goal line. Gino slipped a little bit. Um, and he probably got it, but yeah. with the cameras, the angles, all that stuff, you couldn't get a real, a clear look at it. So it wasn't enough to overturn it. But end of the day, I like the aggressiveness. I like Shane Waldron had the stones, as Dave Wyman mm -hmm. would say, to make that call in that moment on Monday night. Oh, absolutely. And it was great to see, too, because you come out first, first, uh, first drive, get a touchdown. Defense gets you the ball, they hold the field goal, and then you come right back and you march all the way down the field. So they had things going. So why not? You're at home. Those are the situations where you have the momentum, so you might as well go ahead and try to get that done. Unfortunately, they didn't. Like you said, Gino kind of slipped. So I love I love the way um, Shane was aggressive and, and going for it. And then after that, you know, Russell comes back, and he, there's an answer. Boom, hits Jerry Judy for a six, seven-yard touchdown. And that was tough on the rookie corner, uh, Kobe Bryant. He's in good position yeah. as he's looking back for the ball, just kind of loses track and just barely misses the ball, and then he's kind of disoriented, yeah. doesn't make the tackle, and it's it's touchdown. It's just a learning, it's a learning thing for a young defensive back. He's right there. He's going to make that play nine times out of ten. It happens to you once. Probably won't happen again. But right then and there, though, it showed Russell and those guys said, hey, we're not going anywhere. Right here, yeah. game is 10-10. 
And what I love is, again, what the Seahawks did after the fact, right? Gino just marches the Seahawks down again for the third consecutive drive, essentially right down the field, ends up connecting with Colby Parkinson for his first NFL touchdown. And Bump, yeah. man, that's what we've been wanting to see from Colby. He's a big target in that red zone, 6'7". He'd done all the work in the offseason. You guys talked to him on Hawks Live. He transformed his body. So I loved seeing Colby get involved in this offense. Yeah, that's why he scored because he was on Hawks Live with me and Paul Moyer every Thursday. That's mm-hmm. why he scored. Good luck, man. But yeah, you it's nice to see the what the six, seven tight end from Stanford go up and get the ball. Gina put the ball in a perfect place. We'll break that down on the coach's corner. Uh, but then it was about the defense after that. They came up huge on three goal line stands, two fumble recoveries by the guy, Mike Jackson, who made the team the hard way, not expected to make this team, let alone start. He gets the start. And on one of the plays, Wosu, who had a great day himself, gets into the backfield, forces the fumble. Mike Jackson scoops it up. Third and goal from the one. Russ hands the ball off. The ball is out again, and the Seahawks fall on it. Williams fumbled. He's hit in the backfield. He fumbled. The ball is recovered by the Seahawks. Michael Jackson recovers the ball. The second time he's recovered in that end of the field and the Seahawks defense stops Denver again man there's nothing like a goal line stand I mean that nothing energy like when you when you're back up against the wall get another fumble recovery which is a great play by Uchenna who punches the ball out but what started that play was out woods out woods taking the center and driving him right back yeah. into the running back Uchenna Nwosu attacking the football punches it out Mike Jackson falls on the football and again when you're in the right place, the ball will find you, right? That's two times for Mike yeah. Jackson, so I love to see it. And it's just a huge play by this defense. I was really excited about Uchenna Nwosu when they signed him, and obviously it paid dividends right off top. Yeah, be where you're supposed to be and good things happen, right? That's that's the um, one of the things I've learned in all my years watching football and covering football. If you're where you're supposed to be, sometimes the ball bounces your way. Happened twice for Mike Jackson, but now we got to break down the end of this game. Mm. I mean, this felt like a playoff game in that stadium. Why? Of course, because Russell's in town. Also, Russell and the Denver Broncos had the ball in their hands to win the game. The Broncos yeah. faced a third and 14 from the Denver 45 with 111 left in the fourth quarter. Then Javante Williams gained nine yards, sending up a fourth and five. But the Broncos somehow allowed the clock to run all the way down to 20 seconds before calling a timeout. Now, I'm going to go out and say that Nathaniel Hackett made up his mind that he was going to kick this field goal. That's the only reason why this makes sense. Because you know what? We're going to have this clock run down. I want to give them as least time as possible if this doesn't work out for them. Um, then they line up to kick a 64-yard field goal. Only one of these have been made in the past, what, 10 years or something like that. And one of them was made in indoors, Justin Tucker, to win the game against the Detroit Lions. That was a 65-yarder. The 64-yarder was kicked in Denver. Um, Prater was the kicker there. And guess what? In Denver, the air is thinner. This is the Northwest. Right. The air is thick out here. All right, you got to kick that thing Marine a little layer. bit harder. But they took the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands. Pay this man $242 million. They say, you know what, McManus? You kick the ball. They miss. <laughs> we win. With 20 seconds left, McManus off the left hash. This thing is going to be no good. It could have been long enough, but it was just to the left of the upright. And the Seahawks are going to win their opener. 15 seconds left to play. Russell Wilson brings his new team, the Broncos, to town on Monday Night Football. Tyler Lockett, the captain, 
telling players, get off the field. We still have a couple of plays to run. I mean, I think you said it, Bump. You know, Hackett had to have made up his mind. Yeah. But obviously it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback as we hear after the game. But you're thinking, you got Russell Wilson. This is why you brought him here. This is why you paid him the money. And it's fourth and five. I saw a bunch of stuff floating out after the game. And fourth in, I think, fourth and five and plus in Russell's career, under fourth and ten, something like that. He's like 60% passer. So to wow. to take the ball out of his hands there, first, I would rather obviously have Russell Wilson go to fourth and five, have a chance to get a first down. You still have timeouts. You can make, even if you get ten yards there, it makes it a much more manageable field goal. And obviously McManus was drilling him in pregame because you went to thought had that in your thought process before, but it's just hard to make that decision. But obviously, like I said, it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback because while that ball was in the air bump, we were all holding our breath. I was like, oh, my God, don't go through. That was going to be tragic. But it wasn't. Seahawks hold on to win it 17-16. But now it's time to talk about these playmakers. Touchdown, Seahawks! Playmakers. Show them what time it is. Holy catfish! Bump, there's only one place to start. And that's yes, Geno sir. Smith. Geno Smith, 23 of 28 for 195 yards and two touchdowns. QB rating of 119.5. Geno was 17 of 18 in the first half. And he was just the eighth player since 1994 to complete at least 94% of his passes in the first half while attempting at least 18. Geno, with everything swirling around this game, all the hype, all the talk, everything about Russell, everything was about Russell coming into this game from the outside perspective. For Geno to come in and start the way that he did, unfazed. We talked about it in the pregame show. He was a guy that's been consistently yeah. preparing for this moment. The moment is not too big. He's had to hear all the naysayers say he cannot play anymore. He's been behind some of the greats, between whether it's Russell or Eli or Phillip Rivers. So for him to come out and have that performance on that stage, in that atmosphere, it was so great to see. And it should just give all the 12s confidence that Geno Smith indeed can play football. He's not what Russell Wilson is, but this guy is a leader. I see him out there running the football, giving up his body, getting first downs. I mean, if you're not inspired by watching Geno Smith, you got to check your pulse because that man came out there and brought it, and it was really good to see. A man went 13 of 13 to open the game up. And on that 14th pass, I take full responsibility for it because I brought it to Paul Moore's attention that he was 13 and 13. So then what happens? He throws it to Rashad Penny over his head. And my, that's over with. But ends the half 17 of 18. And he was exactly what Pete Carroll said that he was. We know a lot of times you got to take what coaches say with a grain of salt because they're not going to tell you everything. We're not on the inside. They're only going to reveal so much to us. But the way he described Gino was the way that Gino played. The guy who knows the offense, who's under control, and can execute exactly what they want to do. So it was, yeah, it was fun to see Gino acquire uh, all the naysayers and give us a foundation of what we think this team could be and could grow from. There's still so much to learn, so much to do, but it's nice to start off the way that he did and just shut everybody up. And he'd be Russ, man. That, that has to be, has to feel rewarding for this guy. Our next playmaker is Uncle Will Disley. He had three receptions on three targets for 43 yards and one touchdown. You know what's ironic about Will Disley? The last time we saw him against Denver, what'd he do? Dude, balled out his mm -hmm. rookie year. Balled out. And he goes, all right, we're playing Denver. We're at home this time. I'm just do the same thing now. Granted, his touchdown came because there was misassignments in the defense, but that ain't his fault. He still yeah. has to run his route and get open. And watching uh, Uncle Will... Rumble, stumble, bumble <laughs> down into the end zone was a, a heck of a scene. It set the tone, got everybody excited. At that moment, I'm like, okay, these guys got a real chance to hang with the Denver Broncos. 
Yeah, that just set the tone. I mean, everyone in the building, it kind of set the tone of the Broncos like, yep, this is not preseason. Your starters got to play. This is real. Um, so anyone that, you know, because sometimes I'm not saying Denver did this at all. I'm just saying sometimes if you're listening to the noise and all you hear is how bad this team is and you're just going to show up yeah. there and smack them and it's all about threes homecoming. No, that set the tone for the game. So love to see it from Uncle Will. And in that same room, Kobe Parkinson. We're going to talk about him more in a second, but two receptions, 43 yards, and a touchdown, first career touchdown. And it's like we said earlier, great to see him get involved. He's a guy that the Seahawks really need to be a part of this offense. And I think you mentioned this at several times throughout the preseason and on our game on Sunday. We have three tight ends in this room that can do three different things. Between Noah Fant, Will Disley, and, and Colby Parkinson. Colby Parkinson can be that threat in the red zone, can go up and get the football, but has also changed his body and now can really help in the run game. Will Disley can do it all. Noah Fant's a guy that has wiggle and is going to get by you and is going to be someone that's going to be a real threat in the passing game and is a real dual threat. So when both these guys, or sometimes all three of them, are on the field, you can't say, hey, bump. They're in 21 personnel. They're in 22 personnel. They're for sure running the football because we saw the formations they showed last night. So having three guys that can do all of it really helps Shane Waldron and opens up that playbook. Definitely does. Tight ends, most versatile guys on offense. The next playmakers, interior linemen. We knew what we were going to get out of Jordan Brooks. This guy was second in the league in tackles last year. But the question mark was Cody Barton. What is he going to look like? This is his first time really being a starter, right? He's filled in a couple of games here and there because this guy's being hurt. But uh, he showed out and did his thing. Cody Barton had 10 tackles, one sack, two TFLs, and one quarterback. And, of course, Jordan Brooks. Brooks had the green dot on his helmet. Different type of role for this defense. Um, you, you are the Mike linebacker. You are the guy who has to communicate with him. With everybody, what does he do? 12 tackles. So it's encouraging to see the interior linebackers have a good game. Because in this 3-4 defense, uh, the weakness is you should be able to run the full ball a bit against these guys because these guards are going to be able to climb to that second level and get bodies on these interior linemen quickly. So it's encouraging to see these guys put up the numbers that they did and for 57 Cody Barton to get a sack on his former teammate. Oh, yeah, that was great to see. And, you know, Dave Wyman has been a Cody Barton and, uh, you know, enthusiast for since he showed up in Seattle saying he had the best opening camp he's ever seen from a player to come through here. So really good to see Cody Barton, you know, stay the course and finally get his opportunity and show up yeah. and show out on the big stage. Kind of staying with that 3-4 interior, Chenin Owosu, man. Loved what we saw from him. Extremely effective in his debut. Seven tackles, one sack, one TFL, one pass defended, two QB hits, and one forced fumble. This man can do it all. What I love about him is he he's interchangeable. He's going to be in that 3-4 position. He can drop in yep. coverage, and it doesn't look like it did. No disrespect to some of the guys that were doing that last year. He's a good athlete, and he's a good pass rusher. He's a good tackler. He's just a really solid, good football player, and he's a big uh, addition to this defense. Yeah, he's one of those guys that um, we're going to depend on to get pressure and be that athletic presence on the outside, him and Daryl Taylor. So imagine once both those guys get going, man, those edge rushers slash outside linebackers. Just call them hybrids. They're going to get ready to go. Michael Jackson is one of the best stories out of the camp. Every year there's a guy who makes a team that you don't really expect to make the team that you're rooting for. Um, an underdog in this year was Michael Jackson. We saw him during the preseason and make play after play after play. This guy got a bunch of snaps out there. And then the depth chart is released and they got him starting. 
So then you look at the depth chart and you're like, all right, they got Michael Jackson started. When Sidney Jones gets healthy, they're probably going to insert him into that starting position. Sidney Jones was healthy and he did not start. They went with Michael Jackson. So this shows in this organization, if you do what you're supposed to do, you have an opportunity to go out there and play ball. And that's exactly what he did. Four tackles, one tackle for loss, one pass defended, two fumble recoveries. Be where you're supposed to be and you will make plays. Michael Jackson is uh, the, the Rudy the Rocky mm. of this team this year, man. He will, it's fun to see number 30 do his thing. Yeah, I'd love to see it too because one fundamental in any Pete Carroll de- defense is keeping people in front of you. So we knew yeah. Mike Jackson was physical. We knew what he could do, but when you're lining up against guys like Jared Judy and those guys that can stretch the field, get down the field, Corlin Sutton, and keeping everything in front while being physical, he's just putting confidence in that coaching staff that I'm going to be where I'm supposed to be at all times. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tackle. I'm going to be physical. So love to see Mike Jackson balling out. One of the great stories, and Bump, the last thing about him that I love is a lot of times we'll have a great story or there'll be a guy that everyone falls in love with and he makes the team, but then that guy kind of just maybe only is on special teams or he's just depth. Yeah. For, for Mike Jackson yeah. to go from a practice squad guy to a starter on this football team is just insane. So love to see yeah. Mike Jackson balling out. Now, Bump, let's get to these wide receivers, man. A lot of people getting some action. A lot of people getting some action. What did you, you see from this unit uh, yesterday? I saw the tight ends lead play, something we've been asking for for a very long time, and Seattle get the tight ends involved. You talk about Kobe Parkinson. He had two receptions for 43 scores, his first NFL touchdown. Uncle Will gets the party going. He has three for 43 and one touchdown. Noah Fant, the guy we got in the trade for Russell Wilson, had three for 16 on four targets. Tight ends got involved early. I think that's what nine targets for these tight ends. Now, the receivers, DK had a lot of targets. He had seven targets, seven receptions for 36 yards. Seemed like they tried to get him involved more in the screen game. I think they're still trying to figure out how to get these guys behind the defense, including Tyler Lockett, three for 28, a really big catch on that opening drive to kind of ease everybody, calm everybody down. Marquise Goodwin had two for 22, had a nice catch on a scramble by Gino on the left sideline. Toe tap, get in there. Rashad Penny had one for seven, and D. Eskridge had one for zero, but he did get a taunting penalty out of that thing, so yes, he we're did. giving those 15 yards. <laughs> no, love it, and just quickly, Bump, how how do you think moving forward, we'll get into it in our next podcast as we preview the 49ers, how can DK and Tyler get more involved like we expect to see them throughout the year and as they have been since, in, since they've been in Seattle? Yeah, you know, I think against the Denver Broncos, they knew that or the the plan for them was to keep people on top, right? Do not allow the explosive play. I think they wanted Geno to have to go 17 for 18, to have to go 23 of 28. I don't think they believe that they can do that. So what do you do? You crowd that intermediate level. You keep two high safeties over the top and you say, okay, let's see what you do. So now how do you get these guys involved? I think it all comes down to the run as normal. You got to be able to run the football and then you boot and get these guys behind. So now that the Hawks have shown that they will take the underneath stuff, Hey, we'll throw it to the tight end. We'll throw it to the flat. We'll throw it to the running back. These guys on the defense are going to have to play up a bit more. So now that's going to open up throwing lanes behind these guys. So, you know, DK, lock it, just be patient. They can't guard everybody. All right, now you got yeah. three tight ends to worry about, and you got some receivers to worry about as well. No, I can't wait for it. You, like you said, I love how 
when you put stuff on film, you start setting stuff up week to week. So now, yeah. for the first time, everyone's kind of been wondering what's this offense going to look like with Geno Smith at the helm, Shane Waldron in year two. Now you have everything on tape so far, and that's what the 49ers have to look at. But you know Shane is going to build off that and have a lot to grow as the season moves on. We're going to shift gears into the coach's corner, a play we've mentioned a lot today so far. Geno Smith finds Colby Parkinson for his first career NFL touchdown. Second down and six. Offset eye. Geno steps up in the pocket. Throws downfield. Parkinson. Touchdown. Seahawks. Geno Smith. An absolutely perfect pass down the seam to Colby Parkinson. A 25-yard touchdown. And Geno is just absolutely playing like a magician tonight. Seeing everything, moving to the open spot, and throwing perfect passes. The Seahawks lead 16-10. Nas, this was a well-designed play. You hear Rabel talking about an offset eye. So let me paint the picture for you. You got Penny Hart in that pistol look behind Gino. You also have Will Disley to the right side. Initially, before the motion, you got Kobe Parkson on the left side of the formation. They motioned him over to the right. So now there's what you call a nasty look on that right side. That means that number one receiver, who is Tyler Lockett right now, closer to the tackle than he normally is. He really is like in a slot position and you have Kobe Parkinson right next to him. So there's one, two, three, four skill guys to the right side. They're trying to overload that right side. Backside, you have DK one-on-one. Now what's going to happen is the number one receiver who's in that nasty look, who's closer to the tackle than he normally is, is Tyler Lockett. He's going to run like a shallow. He's going to go across the formation and Penny and Will Disley, who's serving as that offset fullback, they're going to swing to the right. So imagine you got got the number one receiver going to the left, grabbing attention. You got two running backs swinging to the right. I think where the Broncos mess up here is that corner seems to be in a man look and everyone else is in a zone. I don't know if there was a miscommunication here or exactly what happened, who's wrong, but who's right, but they're not on the same page. What that does is those two running backs swinging to the right expands the linebackers. That means they're getting whipped. They're flowing to the right as well, respecting those two. You look at this single high safety. Now, Tyler Lockett grabs the attention of him. All right, he's looking inside at Tyler Lockett. He goes, that might be a deep cross. He's got one-on-one with DK to his right side. He doesn't want to leave DK. Because that corner flows and everyone else is in his zone, Kobe Parkinson is allowed to run down the seam, get behind those linebackers. The safety's on the other side of the field. Geno sees it. You throw it up to the 6'7 guy. Touchdown. Yeah, Bump, you explained it absolutely beautifully. And the tough part about that, if you're the linebacker, he's kind of left. As he, he takes his shuffle steps outside, he sees Kobe. He's like, okay, I'm good. I'm going to have a little help over the top. No, you don't. Right past him down the seam. And again, it seems like the great play design, but what I love is the perfect pitch and catch, right? Gino throws yeah. him open, throws it to a spot, makes it so your six seven guy goes up and gets it, and it's an easy touchdown. You can see before Colby can even get both feet down, he's got both feet up in the air. The fans are <laughs> pumped up. Gotta love to see it. We see more of that. And, again, creating stuff, putting pressure on guys. I think with Shane and what we've seen from him when he came from the Rams and what we saw parts of it last year is when you put pressure on defense, you dictate to them. You make them make decisions. You put those guys in the secondary in a bind. 
And when you do stuff like that, because I'm sure when they're watching film, they didn't see much of that nasty look from the Seahawks last no. year and watching film. They didn't see all these formations where both tight ends are in the backfield split on either side, motion, cross formation, going heavy one side. So I love what, like I said earlier, I love what Shane did to put that stuff on film, to have people thinking that. So that's going to be in the 49ers meetings this week. Okay, this is what we do against this look. This is what we do against this look. And then I know the coaching staff will have a lot of different looks off that next week. So it'll be good. But Bump, you know what my favorite formation is? Victory! Let's go. Here comes the Seahawks offense onto the field and the Vikings defense trudging out there knowing that one kneel down and the Seahawks are going to wind the clock down and win this one. It's the victory formation on Hawk Talk. Seahawks take care of business in the home opener. Geno Smith props. He was out there, ignored the noise, played a hell of a football game, started 13 of 13, had two touchdowns, no turnovers. The lights were not too bright for the Seahawks, especially with them action green uniforms. They came up, took care of business <laughs> at home and beat Russell Wilson coming back to Lumen Field. So it was great to see. Man, Russell did his thing. You can't even lie. Like, Russell yep, played did. well, had over 300 yards, one touchdown, didn't turn the ball over. But when it counted, when you got, when they got into the red zone, they could not score. They were 0 for 4 in the red zone, felling three times inside the Seahawks' 10 yard line. When you can stop an offense after they drive the ball all the way down the field multiple times, that has to be heartbreaking. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you watched a couple times when they were walking off the field. It just felt like the body language from the Denver sideline was was dejected every time. You look at the running backs. I mean, it's a lonely place to be when you fumble. Obviously, the number one thing about this game is taking care of the ball, but you do it in the red zone when you do it on the goal line. I mean, that, that's hard to, yeah. that's hard to overcome. And then defensively, building off that, guys like Uchenna, Michael Jackson, Tariq Woolen, Al Woods, Jordan Brooks – all had great games and really kind of showed us the the tipping the tip of the iceberg for this new 3-4 defense under Clint Hart and the just the potential that this unit has to be successful on defense. Yeah, that was really what we were anticipating. We're anticipating a lot. What, what is this offense going to look like? Because we knew they were vanilla during the preseason. Then what is this defense going to look like? Because we did not see a lot of the starters out there. And then you mentioned some rookies, uh, a rookie or two who got to play there as well. But offensively, you start two rookie tackles, something that does not happen in this league often. And this offensive line only allows two sacks. That means they were able to handle the pressure. We broke down that Kobe Parkinson video, and that pocket was beautiful. And those tackles on the edges did a great job creating that pocket. But we know that this ain't it. Like, these guys can mm -hmm. play better. They still left plays out there on offense. They still left plays out there on defense. Tariq Woolen played great, still had, what, two pass interference calls. You know what I mean? They still got to outflank sometimes when it comes to the run game and the pass game. They did what they d could do to win this game, but we know that they're just going to get better. Yeah, no, that's the, that's the great thing about a team like this. They, they didn't peak on week one. That's just the beginning. This is a good football team. Um, they're going to continue to play in that role as long as people doubt them. They're going to continue to win football games. So it was great to see the 12s out there, Lumen Field, pumped up. It was an awesome start to the season, so I'm really excited about what this team can do this year. Seahawks sit alone in first place, only team in the National Football League that has a one-game lead across their entire division. Time to go 1-0 next week as the Seahawks take on the San Francisco 49ers in Santa Clara. Kickoff at 105. The pregame show will get going at 10 a.m. in Seattle. Bump, it was a great first show. Uh, after yes, first sir. victory show. We want to have a lot of these shows, a lot of victory formations yeah. moving forward. Remember, you can catch us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, moving over to Sirius XM as well. So a lot of places you can listen to all Seahawks podcasts. It's been real. Michael Bumpus, NASA Chobie, Hawk Talk Podcast. We'll talk to you guys next week.